Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Coles. What's up? What's up? He's here. He's recovering from having his wisdom teeth out <laughs> as an adult, going through some pain. We had to uh, miss one of our most anticipated screenings this week, unfortunately, because my man was hurt, and I decided to, in solidarity, stay with him and, and just skip it. So maybe we'll catch up with that one later on here in a few weeks or something on our own. But uh, yeah, we didn't get a chance to see the Green Knight, so no Green Knight review from us this week. But like uh, like all of you, or all of you that are cinephiles and know it exists, because <laughs> <laughs> anybody out there listening that is not like part of the film Twitter world probably has no clue what the heck the Green Knight is. Uh, but yeah, exactly. for those of you who do know, we too are excited to get a chance to see it eventually. But we have three films to talk about today, and we are going to just go ahead and jump right in. We're going to get started by talking about Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. If you'll remember, we covered Part 1 of this back about a month ago when it released, and so here we are covering the finale. It stars the voices of Jensen Ackles as Batman, the late Naya Rivera, Josh Demel, Billy Burke, Titus Welliver, David Dust Malkian, Troy Baker, Amy Landecker, Julie Nathanson, Jack Quaid, Fred Tetascori, and Alastair Duncan. It's directed by Chris Palmer, written by Tim Sheridan, and based on characters by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. What's it about? The reign of terror wrought by the holiday killer continues in Gotham City. With each calculated crime, the stakes rise as tensions boil over between the Falcone and Maroney crime families. I love how that rhymes. Falcone and Maroney. As Batman, James Gordon, and Harvey Dent race to solve the deadly puzzle, a breach at Arkham Asylum brings villainous players into the game. All right, Kales, so our feelings on part one were that we both agreed that we liked it. We didn't love it. We thought it was good, not great. It was fine. So get us started with what you liked about this part two of that story. There is a question that gets posed to one of the characters in this film early on, and it talks about can a man live two lives? And what we're dealing with in this film is that a lot of people are living double lives or have secrets and revelations that haven't been exposed to the public. They're carrying on one image, you know, around everybody else. And then outside of that, they have they have another face. You know, we see that, of course, with Two-Face Harvey Dent because that's what he's known for. He's known for being the guy who has one side of him that's this guy who wants to get justice the right way. And then there's another guy that eventually falls off the rails and gets justice in a vigilante kind of dangerous way and then we also see in this film that batman he has to deal with the fact that his family had dealings with the falcones you know when he was a kid he has to deal with that secret knowing that his parents they were great philanthropists they did a lot of good for the city of chicago but also they had a business relationship with a guy who's a known criminal and a thief and a murderer and then you know we also deal with i'm not going to spoil it but there is an, an element of Catwoman's story where we get to see that she has a secret she has a revelation that she's been hiding all these years and this film deals with that in a good way it's a slow burn it's more slow burn than part one 
if you're expecting for a lot of the thrills and action of part one, you're not going to get that until the second half, which kind of factors into my dislike. I love the voice acting. The voice acting is still great. Still carries on um, a high mark from part one. The animation is beautiful, especially the scenes where we see Poison Ivy early on and towards the second half of the film where she has these hallucinations, where she gets Batman under her spell and then she takes him to this world that's like full of flowers. It looks like when Dorothy and Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Coyote Lion are going to Oz and they're in that field of poppy, of poppies and everything, that's what it looks like. But the animation here is just bright, it's vivid. And it really feels like a dream. <laughs> and, you know, you know, it's Batman under this woman's spell. He doesn't know how to get out of it. And also we see a revolving door of villains. You know, we get Joker. We get Penguin. We get Mad Hatter. We get Calendar Man. You know, we get Poison Ivy. You know, we get all of these famous nemesis of Batman who make an appearance in this film. And I love seeing that. Now, the way that they're used is very minor. And they don't really add too much to the story. But... It's great to see those characters because I love them. Uh, one thing I love about Batman and his story is that he has great nemesis to fight against. And they make an appearance in this film. That's that's all I can really get for this film because my dislikes are really going to get more into why breaking this story into two parts was a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. We'll get there pretty quickly, I think. I <laughs> agree. The rogues gallery of Batman is, in my estimation hands down the best in comics i think that nothing and no one has anything that can really rival it on that scale and so anytime you get a film or a story that like lets them all loose into it at one point that's a lot of fun it, it really is exciting and i think that they did a pretty good job of what could have been a disaster of overkill with like all these different villains they integrated graded them pretty well they didn't use too much of any one villain and the ones that they did have a little bit longer scenes with i really appreciated for example the film kicks off and i honestly think it's probably the best 10 to 15 minutes of the movie is the very start of the movie which that you know that's not good ultimately but poison ivy who is one of my favorite villains i love the way that she is brought into this story it starts with her and Bruce having an interaction. Catwoman ends up coming into this. There's some great fight scenes, and I love it. I just think it's really well animated, and it makes me get excited to be back into this story. Then the film starts to drop off, and it gets kind of slow. The things that I like throughout, I still love the animation and the design, that gritty nature of this story. I think it looks really good and unique. I love the Scarecrow fear sequences. There's like a different animation style we go into for Scarecrow's fear stuff, and it's pretty terrifying, to be honest. I think it's really well done. The Harvey Dent origin story, I think, is handled pretty cool here. I, it's really similar to what we saw in The Dark Knight. So, now, I mean, that's okay. The Dark Knight is in and of itself you know, an adaptation in many ways of many different Batman stories. And that's why, but we like see the ending of the dark Knight almost replayed. There's some dialogue in this. That's like your people who didn't know that this story was, was out first are going to think that maybe this copied Christopher Nolan's movie. This is one of the issues with comics that 
I own, I have myself is unfortunately there are so many things out there and so many different kind of iterations and versions of how characters have interacted over the years that everything feels like it's copying something. You can't really do a character new anymore. It's it's already been done and it's just going to you could always be like, oh, well, it was done better this other way. But I like what we got and how it was done in this film. I think it, it played out really well. I don't have a lot else uh, to say, honestly. Oh, fantastic fireworks animation. I do want to point that out. So I used this shot in the thumbnail for this episode. If you're seeing it on social media posts, there is a moment in the middle of the picture where Bruce and a whole bunch of other folks kind of meet up at the pier uh, during a carnival. And there's just this great fireworks scene. And I think it is absolutely gorgeously animated. It's it's just really, really pretty. And I think that I haven't seen fireworks drawn this way before quite like this. So I like that a lot. And the fact that Bruce is dealing with trauma is a good story to explore. I mean, I love the long Halloween graphic novel. I love it. And, and I it's because of this. It's He's dealing with these issues and... It's rough, man. It's, you get to see him really, really fight it hard and not be over his parents' death. And that's how it should be for his character. All right, with that said, I'll let you kick us off on what you didn't care for about this second part of the adaptation. This is one of those stories that would have been better off just going ahead and combining them both for one feature-length film. Part one felt like the great appetizer. You know, you go to Applebee's and you get them onion rings or you get some chicken wings and everything and you start off pretty well. And then you get to your dinner. Now, maybe your dinner might be overcooked. It may not be the right order, it, but it's still decent. It's still okay. You're still going to pay for it, but it's not as appetizing or fascinating as what you first got. And part two, it's a slow burn, like I said, in my likes, which I'm fine with that, but it feels like a drop off from the first film, from an excitement level. There's not really too much memorable or exciting in this film. It feels like it's going through the motion, especially during the first half. I was waiting for something to get jump-started. It felt like that it was kind of just, like, developing too much. You know, just going through the motions, taking its time and getting into the big moments. You know, we still have the mystery of who the holiday killer is, but yet the film just, it doesn't go off with a bang, and I felt that this part two should go off with a bang. Usually in part one and part two of films, part two is really the one that sends it off in a big way. This is the one that's going to that's going to end with a great climax. In this one, I mean, yeah, you get a few surprising revelations, and then you find out who the holiday killer is, and you end up getting some more double twists and everything like that, but at what end are you going to come back and really watch this? Because I feel for part one, I definitely would go back and watch it. It's a great mystery. It's a great mystery film. And it has a lot of excitement in it and a good batch of characters. And for this film, you have the revolving door of Batman villains, but they don't really do anything outside, just cause a little bit of mayhem, and then boom, they're just gone. And it it doesn't really translate into anything that is worth going back to. I mean, if you have the graphic novel, then yes. Go and reread that if that's your favorite. But these films, you know, part two, it feels like an epilogue in a sense. <laughs> it doesn't even feel like it's part of really this long, this 
this continuing story. Part one sets it off. Part two kind of feels like it's going through the motions, and it, it, it doesn't really leave anything for me to really take away from. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's good, but you want more from this, and you don't get that. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan at all, and I'm not going to beat around the bush and waste too much time on it, honestly. I think that, like I said, the best 10 to 15 minutes are up front, and it's got major pacing issues after that. It drops into a very, you called it a slow burn? Yep, and it is not what you expect from this animated movie and not what you expect having watched the first film. And so there's nothing that I mind about a good, you know, well-paced detective story, but it gets very boring and very, very dialogue heavy. Part of the problem, I did not rewatch part one before I watched this. And there is nothing that really reintegrates you into what was going on i mean there's a piece of dialogue that says basically hey three months later <laughs> this is where we're at now but it doesn't really feel it, it's such a drama heavy slog that to cut out everything that came before and not tie them together more consistently it, it's hard it it boils down to this it's too long it's not as well paced as the graphic novel which is immaculate and it should have been about a two hour long animated movie would have cured the pacing issues which would have solved all of my problems really because i loved the animation style and i like the characters and i love the story i just think they stretched it out too much and honestly i can't help but like have that play into my attitude as well when i'm watching this and i'm thinking about forty dollars worth of content here $40 to, to watch these two movies because they weren't rentable they're just you got to buy them straight up like it's it's egregious in my opinion it's kind of gross and so it's a three-star movie for me it's a it's a good movie it's fine I like it but I could never in a million years like it in reference or in context of it costing $40 like that I don't like it you know what I mean and so it, it was just really frustrating for me. I also want to say that it this is not necessarily a dislike. I, I didn't mind it, but I think that some people will consider it a dislike. There is a considerable change to the way that the ending plays out in who is revealed to have done what when it comes to the holiday killer. So if you're a fan of the graphic novel, as many people will be going into this as, you can expect a situation that's similar that they've done with several other batman films recently they did this with the killing joke and they've done it with other or did it with hush they've changed the movie so that it can be a surprise so that people who love the graphic novels won't know what's coming listen i don't mind it i haven't mind it personally either time but part of me says stop it dc like people want you to adapt these stories because they love the story like <laughs> they don't need you to change it right to still love it and so it's kind of i can see that really bothering some folks so i just kind of want to put it out there just just be ready just be mindful that it's not going to be quite the same thing that you expected and don't let that ruin your experience if you can i also want to point out real quick before we wrap up the bonus features i got a chance to review this disc as always thank you big time to wb and dc animation for sending us 
this Blu-ray disc. I think, yeah, I don't think it's 4K. I think it was Blu-ray. Uh, and getting giving a chance to go through the disc. Much like for part one, this is a pretty bare bones release and a little disappointing. Honestly, again, kind of throw all this stuff into one package, double the special features. It would have been a lot better, but there's no commentary or behind the scenes stuff. And that really kicks it down a notch for me when we're talking special features. The DC Showcase short film in this one is Blue Beetle, and it's an old Blue Beetle, so it's not the newer Blue Beetle that is a, a Latino young man. That's the, the third iteration. I think that's what we're getting a new TV show or movie about. I can't recall, but I know there's some Blue Beetle project in the works. But uh, this one is a character named Ted Cord, and it's like a it's basically like a 1960s Saturday morning cartoon style. And it's really goofy, and it's really fun. I liked it a lot. And I my, I say this almost every time we talk about these short films, but I love discovering these characters from the 60s and 70s and the 50s and stuff that I never knew existed. And so we, I get to meet this villain called Dr. Spectro, uh, a faceless hero called The Question, and several other people. And so the story is kind of like whatever, honestly, but the dialogue is really great and funny. And the best compliment I could probably give this short is that I would watch an entire series, based, like a TV cartoon series based on this. I thought it was really good and would be fun. So that, that has that going for it. There is a sneak peek on this one about the new or the next DC animated movie, which is going to be called Injustice. So I'm guessing it's going to be Injustice based on the, the video game series and that storyline, which heck yes, I absolutely love the storyline in the Injustice video game series. I didn't watch it because I don't need to see it ahead of time. I'm excited already. It also has previews, or I guess flashbacks is what they call them, for The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 and Batman Hush. DC always promotes their movies backwards in these. I, I don't know why they do that. And then they have a couple of more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, which has become a normal thing for them as well. These two episodes are Two-Face Part 1 and Two-Face Part 2, which, you know, make a lot of sense considering the plot of The Long Halloween and how much, how, how integral Har Harvey Dent's story is to that. All right, so this will be available digitally right now, Coles, to buy. We don't know when it'll be available to rent. Uh, it usually takes a while. So 20 bucks, you can pick up part two. What do you think? Should people do that or should people wait? Wait for a deal. That's all I can say. Just wait for a deal for both of these films. I mean, this is not something that you should go instantly on day one, just immediately pick it up. No matter how much of a big fan you are, the graphic novel, just Take your time and wait for a deal and get it then if you really are invested in these films. But I couldn't recommend it at full price. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you 100%. I can no longer recommend it at full price. I think I was I think we were both maybe a recommend on the first part. And I almost feel bad in hindsight because now people may have spent 20 bucks and they're going to be like, well, I want to see the end. Well, just wait. Do yourself a favor. You've already, you're already out 20 bucks. Don't give them more and let them know that it's a thing that we want them to do more of. So I say absolutely do not do it. I say vote with your dollar. Tell them this is not an acceptable way to release films, to give us one film at one time altogether like it should be and move on. And then and then see this later down the road because it is decent. It's fine. It's good. 
All right, let's move on to movie numero two. This movie's called Vivo, your favorite, a musical. It stars the voices of Lin-Manuel Miranda, Yanerle Samo, Zoe Saldana, Juan de Marcos, Brian Tyree Henry, and Gloria Estefan. In addition to Nicole Byer, Michael Rooker, Leslie David Baker, Katie Lowe's, Olivia Trujillo, and Lydia Jewett. It's directed by Kirk D'Amico and written by Kirk and also Quiara Alegria Hudes. What is it about? Vivo follows a one-of-a-kind kinkajou, that's a rainforest honey bear, is what it's called, uh, voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who spends his days playing music to the crowds in a lively square with his beloved owner, Andres. Though they may not speak the same language, Vivo and Andres are the perfect duo though, through their common love of music, but when tragedy strikes shortly after Andres receives a letter from the famous Marta Sandoval, inviting her old partner to her farewell concert with the hope of reconnecting, it's up to Vivo to deliver a message that Andres never could, a love letter to Marta written long ago in the form of a song. Yet, in order to get to Marta, who lives a world apart, Vivo will need the help of Gabi, an energetic tween who bounces to the beat of her own offbeat drum to fulfill his owner's wishes. So, I was a little nervous going into this because uh, you're not always a musical guy. You're not a genre you tend to gravitate toward. <laughs> I was hoping, since it was animated, that maybe it would go down a little easier for you. So, was there anything that you actually liked about this one? Fingers crossed. To tell you the truth, I'm impressed. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> and that is saying a lot, given that it is a musical. And for me, my apprehension to musical is not because I think that all musicals are bad. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are great musicals. Like, I know your love affair with La La Land and, you know, your recent love affair with In the Heights. I'm pretty sure that those are great films. But for me, I've never been a, a song and dance kind of guy. You know, me sitting down in the theater for two hours watching it, it's not something that entertains me. Animation does make it easier for me to swallow. And the one thing, if I could take away anything that makes this film great, is this message. This film's message is about letting people know how you feel about them. Because you may not get another chance. You know, the beginning of this film, we deal with this guy, Andreas. He's an old man. And... He had a love. He had a woman that he loved, you know, um, many many years ago. But he never got a chance to tell her how he felt because he was afraid that if he did, it would keep her from chasing opportunities that she had been working hard for, working hard for. And it's kind of left him with a little bit of regret. And you know, he wants to have a chance to finally give her a song that he he wrote for her and sing it with her and have the special moment and really. He, show her show her his feelings and oftentimes we don't tell the people who we care about how much we care about them and love them and how important they are you know if there's a saying that goes hey give people their flowers while they're here because life is random life is chaotic we never know today tomorrow's not promised to any of us we never know if we're going to be here tomorrow we never know what's going to happen to the people we care about you know it's something that we can't predict so this film is teaching you about if you have a chance, tell somebody that you love them. If you if you have a secret crush or affection for somebody, 
what's the worst that someone can say? No, just let some, just tell somebody, you know, how you feel, because you never know. They may be feeling the same way. And if they're not feeling the same way, then it's it's a burden that's off your shoulder, and you don't have to worry about that. Another message of this film is about how music is life. Music, we can often live, even when we're dead and gone, music is something, especially if you're a musician, that can carry you on for, for generations. It's something that can be remembered by. And there's a lot of great music in this film. You know, Lynn, um, I hate, I don't want to butcher his name. So how do you pronounce his name? Lynn Manuel Miranda? Manuel. Close. So you, yeah. yeah, good enough. Okay, so I'm going to say Manuel. That's how I'm going to designate him for this. So Manuel, uh, I recognize his um, talent for songwriting. You know, he created Hamilton and he recently did In the Heights. And he also did songs for Moana, which is one of my favorite Disney films. So the man has a knack for writing songs. And once again, he does a good batch of songs for this film. And, you know, there's a lot of Cuban flavor in them. There's a little bit of hip hop. There's some little punk aesthetic to it. And it's it's music that makes you groove. You know, it's very catchy. And they also tell the story of each of these characters. One of the characters named Gabby, you know, there's an early song where she says she marches to the beat of her own drum. You know, she's different from everybody else. You know, she's a one of one. And while it may be to her detriment that she really only is looking out for herself, she's not willing to make friends, it really shows you about who her character is, who her personality is, and why she has the interests and abilities that she has. Because she really feels that she is different from everybody else and that she's trying to live her life in a way in accordance to her beliefs. And that's great character development, as best as you can get it. That's as best as a monologue. Like, nothing more entertaining than having a song to describe that. Also, I love the animation. Whoever they have at Sony Pictures Animation doing doing the work who are in the offices, who who are in the labs doing these films, keep those people. Because the animation in this film is gorgeous. And I noticed you said before, earlier today, we were talking about it, that Roger Deakins was an animation consultant for this film. So I already knew going in, like, I expect nothing less than great. And it's brilliant. I mean, there are a few moments in this film where I was just really dazzled by the way it looked towards the end when we get to the city of Miami and just seeing the neon lights and seeing all the exciting color palette that's being used. And it just really wows you. It just feels almost like an amusement park. And it really does a good service to the city of Miami because Miami is not a town that you just go in, you just settle down and just do ho-hum stuff. No, Miami is like a party city. It's a city that's got a lot of things going on, a lot of exciting things going on, and it's well represented in this film. And another good aspect of this film as well is the voice acting. You know, um, we see Lim, we see Manuel. He plays a um, what is it called? I know it was called Parrot at first, but that's <laughs> not how you call it. <laughs> no, he's a he's a Kinkaju. Okay, Kinkaju. Oh, Kinkaju. Kinkachu. How do you pronounce it? Okay. I'll it kind of rhymes with Pikachu. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Call him a honey bear. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I like that Um, when he is talking to someone who's not familiar, he goes into his normal ammo voice, but then when he gets comfortable with people, he is able to communicate with them. They He's able to communicate with humans. He has a bond that's stronger than just someone being a human and someone being an animal. And then, you know, we have Zoe Zaldana, 
she's in here. We have Gloria Estefan, which I that's a name I haven't heard of in a while. I remember Gloria Estefan was a big name in the nineties and everything when it came to music. So it was great to see her in this in this role, in this film. And all around I'm just really impressed by this film and I didn't think I was. And I think that Shoney Pictures animation, I think they have the chance to be a new power when it comes to Hollywood. And if that wasn't evident by Spider-Verse, I mean, they've already made two great films this year. They made The Midgels vs. Machines, and yes. now they've made this. Yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's awesome. They're trending uh, you know, in a great direction right now, and I loved it. I thought... I liked it. Much like the Mitchells versus the Machines, it is kind of surprising to me how much I liked it. I would relate this or compare this, I should say, to the old school Disney movies of the 90s with regards to its musical nature. Not in its styling, but those films were true animated musicals, right? Song after song after song. This movie is song after song after song. It's not just an animated movie with one or two. There's like 11 songs he wrote for this, and, it, and it's, a, it's a frequent component of this movie and this story is these different musical styles. They are absolutely Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, he started working on this after In the Heights, so, you know, it's before Hamilton, at least some it began before Hamilton, those beats, those rhythms, those lyrics, and the way that they come out, it's Hamilton. There are, there are like melodies in this and things that like sound just like songs that you're familiar with. The way those words roll out of, off of his tongue, you're very familiar with it. I think that that's a pro for me. I can understand that some people, I think we, I talked about this during Patrick and I's In the Heights episode. You know, some people might find that as a negative at some point, like, oh my gosh, he only does the same thing. But if people absolutely love the thing you do, not everybody has to be this person who reinvents themselves all the time, right? Not everybody's Taylor Swift with a different kind of album. Every single, you know, time she comes out with something, or Kanye, who is constantly, you because know, I got to put them together. Well, like people who come out with different types of music all the different, you know, all the time. He does a thing, and he does it exceptionally well, and it works really greatly in this film in particular. I think the music is just so good. I, I was really captivated by it. I also love the emotional story. You did such a great job of explaining what was so meaningful about it. The relationship between Vivo and Andres is just absolutely touching, for however brief it is, but like, if you love a pet, you kind of can relate, I think, to this owner and pet friendship that feels like something unique. And then when Vivo gets onto his little buddy buddy cop movie journey with Gobby, it, it's a it's a hoot. I mean, they're both really funny. They have this center, this shared love of music but very different approaches to music you know vivo wants things to be structured and in very organized and routine he's he's used to doing things a certain way and gobby's like just whatever man a beat is a beat isn't you know doesn't give a crap and they have to learn to appreciate each other's methods and find balance 
And I think that it's a really great message. They have to learn to improvise. It's just really darn sweet throughout. And yet it never dips into like a really young, silly sappiness to the romance factors either. It just, it stays kind of like, I don't know, teen level for me in, in a way that I thought was really cool, even though, you know, it's going to appeal to all, all ages of child from your two-year-old all the way up to your teens. And I think that it's hard to make a movie that does that and that they did a really good job accomplishing it. And so I, I think it's great. I'm a huge fan and yeah, I have almost nothing bad to say about it. The only, the only really thing that I can point to that I disliked, and I will say this with a grain of salt, but sometimes for me, you mentioned the difference in kind of how it sounds when Miranda is singing versus talking. When he's singing, I don't have a problem with it, it's fine coming out of this kinkajou animated raccoon-like animal. When he's talking as a human, it feels weird to me. Like he, the voice, it's, there's nothing wrong with the performance. It's just that the tone, the sound of the voice to me does not look like that animal in a way that I easily have been able to kind of except in many other animated films and just it's not it's a little bit distracting for me a little bit distracting i'm like that's manuel miranda and he doesn't look like that <laughs> you know which is normally not the like i didn't do that with zoe saldana uh in any case shape or form i didn't do that with gloria estefan so but for that i just i was like man that's kind of weird but other than that small small detail i I think it's really 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 good and i'm excited for people to see oh i also really like michael rooker sorry uh he is a noise hating python in the everglades and i think he makes a really good villain just the way that his voice works is just perfect for a bad guy is there anything you didn't like about it now um i forgot to add something to my likes which is how much I love this film, is that we always talk about representation. We always talk about seeing different voices and having different kind of ethnicities being represented on screen. And this is a, just like In the Heights, this is another great example of that. I love seeing movies like this where we get to hear different kind of music and see different kind of groups of people be able to have their moment in the sun. Now, on my dislikes, this is going to be like a nitpick, and this is going to be a little bit of a comical nitpick. But I noticed with the character models, I just kept looking at their feet because their feet were very, very small in proportion to their body. And I know that a lot of people are going to look or going to not even like bat an eye at that. But for me, I'm a details kind of guy. And just seeing the characters walk around and their feet being so many and little, it was like, oh, that it, it sticks out a lot. But like I said, it's just a minor nitpick. I mean, I guess I had to pull something out of the hat because I couldn't find much to really dislike about this film. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I, I think it's awesome that we're both on the same page here. I certainly was not necessarily expecting that, and so it's it's a welcome surprise. This will be available globally on Netflix on August the 6th. So are you feeling it? Do you think people need to check it out? I am strongly feeling it. Everybody needs to check it out, especially if you're a fan of musicals and animation. This is right up your alley. Copy that. I agree 100%. Families, 
get this one on your radar. Schedule your Friday night. Get your kids on the couch. Pop some popcorn. Have a blast. They'll be singing the rest of the night and wanting you to go get them a little monkey as a pet. But still do it anyway. Don't worry. It's okay. Well, speaking of monkeys, we're going to move to our last but not least film, the biggest release of this week. That is not an indie film, I should say, because The Green Knight is the most anticipated by critics. But most audiences are probably going to point to this as the biggest film of the week, which would be Disney's newest adaptation of a ride at one of their theme parks, <laughs> Jungle Cruise. This stars Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jack Whitehall, and also Jesse Plemons and Paul Giamatti. It is directed by Huame Kaletsera and is written by Glenn Ficarra and Juan Requa and Michael Green. What is it about? Join Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt for the adventure of a lifetime on Disney's Jungle Cruise, a rollicking thrill ride down the Amazon with wisecracking skipper Frank Wolf and intrepid researcher Dr. Lily Houghton. Lily travels from London, England to the Amazon jungle and enlists Frank's questionable services to guide her downriver on L'Aquila, his ramshackle but charming boat. Lily is determined to uncover an ancient tree with unparalleled healing abilities, possessing the power to change the future of medicine, a.k.a. the Tree of Life, a.k.a. the thing that people are seeking in every adventure movie. Thrust on this epic quest together, the unlikely duo encounters innumerable dangers and supernatural forces, all lurking in the deceptive beauty of the lush rainforest. But as the secrets of the lost tree unfold, the stakes reach even higher for Lily and Frank and their fate, and mankind's hangs in the balance. All right, man. Well, I haven't got a chance to talk to you about this one, so this will be me finding out what you thought about it for the first time as well. So what did you like about Jungle Cruise? Usually in films that are dealing with characters searching for a treasure, it's all about getting a treasure that's going to enrich their lives, that's going to make them rich, that's going to make them powerful. And that's usually what we're following as an audience. But in this film, I like that, you know, the characters are actually going for a treasure that's going to bring hope and blessings for millions of people around the world. They're Emily Blunt and The Rock. They're on this journey to find Tears of the Moon. And it's this tree that has these enormous healing powers that could change medicine forever. And, you know, I think about, because I, I equate a lot of films to real life, I think about things like this. And it would be great if we had something like this, something that could be able to give medicine and give healing to people who may not be able to afford health insurance, who may be in, in a situation to where they are dealing with a chronic disease and they don't know where to go to or where to turn to get a fix for it. And I love that the get in this film was based on helping other people. And that leads me to Emily Blunt's character. Um, Emily Blunt, She's one of my favorite actresses. I love her. And I think she's good. She's good in this. But I love her character. Her character, she's not just an adventurer and a girl who's all about trying to get the treasure. But she's all about helping people. She's very compassionate. You know, there's a certain um there's a certain area in this film where she gets to explain to the rock about what she's doing this for. Like it's not for her being greedy or to have fame or to have her name in the newspapers. It's all about helping other people which anybody can get behind that the rock i know people have their problems with the rock i love him more than i don't like him in films and i, I really like him in this film he's good corny now there's a thing between being corny 
bad corny and good corny. And I think he's good corny in this film. There's a scene where he just goes off and just, he's rallying off these just bad jokes. But the way he's delivering them and the way he's buying into them just really sells it for me. I think he tells a joke about, oh, I had this girl, she was cross-eyed, we just didn't, we didn't see eye to eye, and she's like, oh, I think she had a guy that was on the side, like, I know other people would think, like, that's a lame joke, but the way he sells it, it works in this film, and his character, I'm not going to spoil it, has an important meaning to the journey of this film, which is going to pay off for a lot of people, so I'm not going to spoil it, but he has a dramatic turn, which impressed me, um, I love the world building, I love that we're going down the Amazon River. We often don't see too many films where we get to see the Amazon River. And that's one of the most fabled rivers in the whole wide world. And this is a film that doesn't take itself seriously. Oftentimes, I've been seeing a trend where Disney will take a property and they'll try to go deep and dark with it. <clears throat> Cruella. <clears throat> but I love that this film really takes advantage of it being silly, not taking itself too seriously, and it's totally marketed towards kids. But I think adults who especially have been to Disneyland and grew up on Disney films, they're going to find a lot of joy in this film. They're going to find happiness. They're going to find a lot of laughs. And they're going to find a little bit of excitement. Yeah, a little bit of excitement. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, it's interesting that we talked about musicals and you not liking musicals and having a, a reaction, you know, that was different than what you were maybe normal would be. I love this genre this is among my top three type of films probably ever uh, is the adventure movie the treasure hunting movie and and that extends into all media so it's one of my favorite types of video game as well and just in general i get swept away by this exploration aspect and so i was reluctant going into this because this screams cash grab to me it screams it worked with Pirates of the Caribbean so it can work again because it's The Rock. And it felt like that in every way to me, but I'll get into that later. So what I liked about it is you mentioned this, The Rock. Like, I, it's hard for me to ever hate a movie The Rock's in or to not like it. There's On some level, it's going to be entertaining because he's there. There is a baseline he has for being in something and I, and studios know that it's why he's in so many movies right yes he plays a very similar character in almost all of them but that's because fans enjoy that and he's good at that he doesn't need to be everything else he doesn't have to be this super dramatic oscar-winning actor that can transport himself into this you know like change his body and and become matthew mcconaughey type actor that's not him what he does is he does really well the jokes you're absolutely right they're absolutely horribly bad dialogue jokes but it's in service of the character intentionally they're not poorly written jokes that they thought would be funny they're dumb jokes because the character is intentionally spitting out dad jokes right and he is the perfect person to say to sell those i agree a hundred percent with you. And it fits the character. He is a riverboat tour captain. And if you've ever gone on the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland or Disney World, 
that's what this ride is. It's got this exact, this, it's based on the ride, right? It's got a captain who drives you, sails you around or whatever, and tells dumb jokes and says things like, on my left is the Amazon River, on my right is, like, he's intentionally playing off of the ride, which they should, because it's an adaptation. So his and Emily Blunt's chemistry, I thought was fantastic. They they carried me through the film. Uh, it's fast paced. I mean, it starts fast and it never really lets up. And I liked that as well. That helped me get through some of the parts that I didn't like as much because it just kept moving along. And I appreciated that. Ultimately, again, with the baseline thing, it's a mystical, mythical adventure to find the tree of life. It's going to have silliness in it. It's going to have a lot of action. It's going to have some puzzle solving. Like, that's my thing, and I like that stuff, and I'm here for it. There is one absolutely really, like, memorable sequence in the film, and it is part of that character development piece you were talking about for The Rock's character of Frank, and maybe he has some traits that we are not privy to for most of the movie. There is this awesome use of a Metallica song that uh, the composer actually uh, James Newton Howard worked with the band to recreate this specific song and use in this one really impactful sequence of the film that helps kind of share this character surprise and it's just a really emotional musical centerpiece for what is happening in that moment and I, I thought it was outstanding so that was like a real highlight of the movie for me and, you know, for better or for worse, this is definitely trying to set up a new mystical universe like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's got some ghosts and curses, and it's, it is very, very similar, okay? You're going to see in all of these different reviews people writing about how it's the mummy, it's National Treasure, it's Indiana Jones, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. It is. It's all of those things. And I'm going to go ahead and real quickly get into my dislikes because it's trying so hard to be all of them and it's nowhere near as good as any of them. Because it's trying so hard to be all of them, it doesn't really have an identity of its own. That one really cool character development aside that, that keeps it interesting and above water, <laughs> pun intended, it's just so much of the same. It's like, oh, that, that they're pulling that from African Queen. They're pulling that from that moment in the Indiana Jones. And like so much of it is Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not even funny. Or, like, or the mummy. So that was distracting to me, unfortunately, in a way that was not positive. I do not understand how Disney is a company that makes so many incredible movies for the theaters and has so much money, Coalesce, and they cannot put out movies with good special effects. I do not get it. I complained about this when we saw Black Widow, and I'm going to complain about it again. There's no excuse for it to look this bad. There, there are TV-level special effects in this movie. Why? Why? It's, it's unacceptable to me. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, that really bothered me. I just don't understand why they have so much problems with their CGI. I also thought that the villains were completely just too over the top. 
Giamatti and Plemons are great actors. And on some level, they're still kind of hilarious, but they're so stupid and goofy and just, <laughs> and it goes to a place, Plemons' character and who he is, again, is another repetitive theme of like, well, of course, that's what the bad guy is kind of thing, right? Because those guys are always the bad guys. And it's just, I don't know, it just, it was tired for me. It was tired and didn't do anything outstanding. And so it was just, I kind of sat through it and I was like, yeah, that was, that was fine. That was fine. It was okay. And I, I want so much more out of this genre and I have high standards. And so it didn't really hit those for me. What uh, bothered you about it? Well, since we're going into the characters, uh, let me um, give my little spill on Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is a great actor. We can both admit that. We, we've loved him in a lot of our films and TV shows we have seen, but his act in this film, I really got tired of it very quick. Like, he's this guy who's speaking with this heavy German accent. He's very bourgeois and very high class, and he's all about, you know, he he's really just built up just to be a villain in name, but he doesn't really have any personality traits or any dynamic sense to him. I mean, he's just a guy there who's just meant to be the nemesis, and then you already know what's going to happen to him by the end. I mean, it it just really just leaves you kind of boggled why he's even in there at certain points. The same thing can be said about Jack Whitehall's character. I mean, he plays the brother, Emily Blunt, but they give him some bad lines to say in this film. Like, the moments that he's meant to be funny, he's not funny at all. There's a point where he says something where a guy is telling him, like, why are you sweating or something like that? He's like, oh, no, I'm not intense sweating. I'm not doing sweating. Then he's like, he says something like, sweat, sweat. And I heard, like, a far, I heard a rim shot far away when he said that. And then there's another point he says, my, my, after being scared by something, he says, my eyeballs are sweating. I was like, okay. <laughs> like I said before, there's a difference between good corny and bad corny. And his character had a lot of the bad corny lines in this film. And honestly, this film would have worked. This film would have been better without him. And honestly, I don't even know why he's even in there. I mean, I kind of forgot about him as soon as I stopped watching the film. You were right when this film doesn't have an identity. When the after the first twenty minutes, I was thinking to myself, you know what? They're trying to do some Indiana Jones things. They're trying to do the mummy things. They're trying to be Pirates of the Caribbean. Like this film does not have a singular thing that it does on its own that's new. I mean, it's taking away a lot of the things that made other great Disney films classics. A lot of the things that made other great Avengers films great, and they're trying to and they're trying to put them in this film, but it's not done as well. And it kind of leaves you wondering, like, well, what was Disney trying to accomplish with this? Were they trying to just take advantage that they had Emily Blunt and The Rock, two of the hot street actors that we got right now in Hollywood, and just putting them in the film and hoping that it was going to be, that people were going to love it because they were in there and not working on anything else? And once again, man, Disney, you have a billion dollars. Mickey Mouse built Disney. I mean, you have a legacy. You have this treasure chest of money, and you still cannot figure out how to do visuals right. I mean, when you see the animals in this film, like the toucans, and you see the lions and stuff, and when they're standing next to, to human characters, it's obvious just how bad they look. <laughs> like, it, it, it borders line on being uncanny at times, and just very putrid. Like, the way the, the way the lion, like, his mouth moves when he roars, and just the way he's moving around the boat and everything, I was like... I can honestly go right now and go 
put on Life of Pi and watch a better designed lion than what is in this film. That, and that film is probably made for less than what Jungle Cruise is made for. And it really just is bothering me a little bit. And I'm wondering if this is going to continue to be a trend. And if this is a trend, then Disney needs to figure something out because I'm going to continue to call it out every time I see it. Their visual effects work is not good and it's not at the par to what their standing is in the industry. And another thing is that outside of the treasure and the emotional relevance of that, this story is just a half-baked adventure tale. Like it's just something that you would read in a in a in a ten cent book that you would pick up from Barnes and Nobles. I mean, it it really just hit all the major beats of an adventure story and doesn't like I said before, it doesn't do anything new. And it's not it's something that I'm fine with. I enjoyed it for what it was, but I'm not going to go back to this at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I I'm very much feeling the same way which is frustrating because it's a kind of movie that i want to be able to revisit it it set me back off right every time i watch a movie or do anything play a game that's similar to this i get on a run and i started watching more adventure movies this week because i wanted to enjoy some and i mean i watched the old journey movies journey to the center of the earth was in 2008 with brendan fraser and then there's a sequel, and I think 2012, and it had The Rock in it, right? And it's got even worse overall visuals probably, but I loved it. There was something about the storytelling and the way the movie was made. It had heart. It had heart, and it just felt like they were trying. <laughs> and Disney just never feels like it's trying anymore right now. It just feels like this was just kind of thrown together. What I will point out, one more thing that we didn't mention and we would be remiss this people like to say oh it was the first time disney ever had a gay character there have been plenty of films where they've had characters that have kind of tangentially been considered um queer in some way in this film there is a gay character who comes out in the movie as gay it's a very specific and lengthy scene and I just wanted to point out that that is probably the first time Disney has actually been willing to do that. So good for them. They're putting that in there. Um, it does it does carry through to the character and his entire demeanor over the course of the movie somewhat. Um, and it has to do with his character development and where he is and how he's involved. Uh, but it was you know nice of them finally to not just kind of make it a throwaway thing where you could kind of believe it and kind of not believe it they made it very clear in this one and so that was good for them to to finally recognize that well this one coles is available in theaters and on disney plus premiere access 30 dollars on july the 30th so theater buy it at home or no thanks well i'm kind of stuck in a catch 22 because I can't even really recommend this for a theater unless you're going to watch it in 3D, but it's not like the big scale blockbuster that you commonly see with a Disney film, and you know how I feel about Premiere Access. I mean, not too many films are worth $30 at home, and I don't think, in this one is another one of those films. I, I really think that you are wasting your money if you spend $30 on this, even if you do have kids. So I'm, I'm stuck in a catch-22. I'm just going to say theater. I mean... Watch it in 3D, maybe IMAX, then maybe you can get something out of it, but don't pay $30 for this. 
Yeah, I don't know either. I <laughs> I did watch it again with some family members and they enjoyed it. So, and I like getting their perspective because they only watch the big movies, so they're that target crowd. They do catch up with indies and like award contenders at the end of the year, generally because I get all the screeners. So they, they like those movies, but for the most part, they're watching the big stuff. The Marvel, the Disney, the Fast and the Furiouses, the Top Gun Mavericks of the world, um, the big you know dramas like Gone Girl and thrillers. And they liked it quite a bit. They thought it was a lot of fun. And I, and I th sometimes think that they're a lot less critical about things that I'm critical of. And so my guess, Kales, is that most families are going to get their money's worth out of this if they buy it and watch it at home as a crew. I think you would be just fine if you spent that same amount of money or maybe slightly more and went to the theater and saw it once. I think you'd probably have a better time. I don't think it's one you need to rewatch over and over at home. So with that regard, I guess I'm in the same boat as you. And even though I don't love it, I would kind of recommend theater because it would be – I think the theater experience, the loudness, the bigness of an adventure movie will help overcome some of those things that it's easier to be critical of when you're sitting on your couch and you're watching it in screener form like you and I took it in. So, yeah, I'm going to lean theater as well, but with the caveat of don't expect greatness. Don't expect another Pirates of the Caribbean kind of masterpiece in the genre. Just have have as much fun as you can have with it and then go about your merry way. Well, that's it for us, folks, this time on FF+. Plus, We hope that you found something that piqued your interest and you, we would love to hear what you think when you do see any of the films that we discuss on the show. You can hit us up on Twitter at Feelin' Film or Black Nerd Magic. You can join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link to that in the show notes. We also have a Discord server if you're into that. Look us up online, social media. We'll tell you how to get there. We will be back soon, of course. Next week, I think we've got the Suicide Squad and Free Guy coming at you at some point, so that should be entertaining. Until then, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.